Episode 63 with Mr. Kane Churko, Canadian producer, songwriter, mixer, artist, based out of Las Vegas. He works at the Hideout Recording Studio, and his dad, uh, Kevin Churko, was on my podcast a couple years ago. We had a great conversation at the studio there in Vegas, but I really enjoyed this conversation with Kane. Uh, he's a wonderful guy, uh, really super talented, and uh, you'll learn a lot from this particular podcast. Also, don't forget about our sponsors. We have a brand new one, stickmanclothingcompany.com. You can find them online there. Go to their website, and they have awesome stuff. I just got a hat from them the other day, and it's really awesome. So uh, make sure you check out all their cool stuff. Also, Morning Buzz Coffee, based out of Hamilton, Ontario. They're a small batch coffee company, and you can find them on morningbuzzcoffee.buzz on the internet. Also, my grandfather's fiddle, one-of-a-kind custom t-shirts. Treat those you love to a memory of a lifetime. And I always send all my people to uh, mygrandfathersfiddle.com and check out everything they do there. Pretty cool. Also, uh, Music City Canada, uh, based out of London, Ontario. And I buy a lot of equipment from them. And they have everything you can ever imagine and great prices. They ship to you as well. Musiccitycanada.com. All of our sponsors are uh, Canadian and all musician-owned. So I'm proud to have all musician-owned businesses as sponsors on the podcast. And also, don't forget, if you want to find out all the links and possible places you can hear and watch this particular podcast, you can go to getmypodcast.com. You'll find all the links there. And follow along and subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, uh, all those great places. You can find that at getmypodcast.com. All right, here is Mr. Kane Churko. All right, we are here with Kane Churko sitting in lovely Las Vegas, which I miss dearly. <laughs> I haven't been there for a while. How are you doing, Kay? I'm, I'm doing excellent today. How are you, Darren? Excellent. One of my first questions I wanted to ask you, and, and of course, if you want to go back, anyone that's listening, um, you're the third Churko I've had on my <laughs> podcast. Of course, you had I listen. I listened to some dads. I didn't realize. Uh, I assume Corey has yeah. been, on, been on there. I didn't realize Corey had one, too. That's fine. Corey was number two, actually. My second oh, cool. podcast, and he was coming <laughs> through town with Shania, and I zipped up to Toronto, and we sat, God, we chatted for like two and a half hours or something like that. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so, uh, and I had a great uh, in-studio chat with your dad, Kevin, and that was great. Um, and uh, here we are, uh, number three. So, if there are those listening, make sure you go back and listen to uh, those other um, podcasts. You learn a lot from them as well, but... Uh, first question was, Kane Churko, where did the Kane come from? Where was there's a background <laughs> to that name? Yeah, there is. Um, actually, my my dad, Kevin, is a, a big fan of the TV series Kung Fu. Ah. Um, which the main character was Kwai Chang Kane. Yeah. Um, so it kind of just literally came from there. Um, it, it was n- not even, I don't think, intentional to be a Kane name, but in hindsight, uh, my whole family, my immediate family is Kevin, Kemney, Kane, and Chloe. Oh yeah, yeah. All K, all K names. You got my my uncles and my aunts were Corey, Kelly, Casey, Kim. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's kind of just been a, a, a common thread to at least have uh, K's or hard C's and on the the Churko side of my, my my family at least. So, 
That's awesome. Um, yeah, no, it's a it's a kung fu reference, which I grew up watching with my dad, of course, too. Cool. Do you know any other canes? Have you met any other canes? You know, I've never actually personally met another K A N E cane, even though I know of some. I'm I'm seeing it more and more. Yeah. Uh, as a name, kind of almost like in the generation after me, somehow. But um, uh, yeah, not, not not a lot. When I grew up, I was the only cane I knew, and 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 especially with the spelling of K A N E, everyone always would spell it. Yeah, you know, like the biblical way or C A I N or yeah. C A N E or some something like that. But um, you always used to yeah. say, yeah, cane with a K and L. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're in Las Vegas and uh, enjoying life there at uh, your awesome studio, uh, which I had a great tour of. Uh, great spot to hang out. Um, sure. And, and have a wonderful, uh, I went through your, uh, your studio there as well. You are you in the same spot? It, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. What's my control room? Uh, my usual control room right now, which is our our C room. Yeah. Um, and uh, just basically streamlined for for me. Uh, so it's all my personal gear. Everything's set up. Uh, my my patch bay. I can pull every patch on the patch bay, and it's all normaled. And everything's set up. Inserts the way I want it, and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's just so I can move around really quickly. Um, I find from growing up in like home studios and things, um, I find I just like a tighter, smaller space where I can reach to my left, play my keyboard, yeah. reach to my right, pick up my guitar, pull my mic down in front of me, sing, sing some background vocals, you know, kind of the spaceship sort of vibe where I don't, I don't need to even move my chair and I can access and reach every control. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because when I was younger, I, I liked having a big desk. Like anywhere I went, if I was doing studio work or live work, the bigger the desk, the better you felt. But the older I get, the tawnier I want, <laughs> you know, the less space, <laughs> yeah. the more you can, like you said, the more you can grab around you, uh, just makes you way more efficient. Yeah. I mean, we have obviously some extremely beautiful rooms here and some, you know, big SSL rooms and stuff. And, um, I don't use them as much as you'd, you'd think, um, just really for that reason, I don't want to, I don't like sliding my chair around yeah. <laughs> all day <laughs> to, turn, to turn something up or down on channel one. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I just like, a. I think, I think for me, my music process is more about keeping creative momentum and um, staying inspired. And I think being able to just constantly move quickly, it does that when I, when I run into things that slow me down, I start to lose interest in the ADD part of me just can't stay, can't stay focused. So I, I got to kind of stay doing something exciting constant, <laughs> constantly. Yeah. So how many, <laughs> how many times have you reconfigured your setup where you are now? This room I've kind of done about three different times in the last four years. Um, we came from a, a, a custom spot that we had before this for like the previous five years um, and that was like super streamlined built you know built the build out was from the ground up exactly how we wanted it so it, it was super custom and I, I really lo really loved that moving to this bigger facility when I say bigger I mean our old space was 1400 square feet this space is almost 14,000 square feet yeah. um, so it, it was quite a big upgrade but at the same time it took a lot of adapting at first um, both because we were coming into uh, we bought the building with all the gear in it and stuff too so we're coming into a bunch of gear, different desks, different setups, different things we can combine and try out to decide what we wanted and didn't want and all that stuff. Um, and only 
in the last couple months do I feel like I finally turned a major corner to dialing it m- more into how I want it. Yeah. Um, a big part of it was the patch bay um, and, and getting that totally just as dummy proof as I can. So if someone uses my room when I'm not here on the weekend or something, I can come in, just pull every patch. I'm set up again. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not having to reconnect <laughs> anything. I got all my gear set up as inserts. Um, I had a bunch of gear I didn't even have set up because I didn't have enough rack space where I wanted it. And um, now I got everything ready to go. And I, I, I love it. It's great. <laughs> You'll change it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I will. I mean, I'm already, I'm already thinking about it. I mean, there's there's constantly things that to me, um, I, I've you know I always struggled to find the workarounds for, and I find because I never grew up maybe even in traditional studios, um, I just you I use things a little differently, and there's a lot of things that traditional studios uh, to me sometimes just don't make sense. Um, you know, a, a big one when I go into other big studios with like a, a, a board or an SS, you know, an SSL kind of room yeah. um, is, you know, when they have the computer facing to the side yeah. and, and you're looking sideways while mixing, you know, and so that's weird to me, but that's cause I, you know, I mix so much in the box. So I, I'm not thinking about the faders beside me. I'm looking at the, <laughs> the automation in front of me, <laughs> in front of me in the Pro Tools screen. Um, so it's like, you know, making sure your computer's right in front of you. Right now, for me, the big thing is I wanted to be able to reach all my gear, uh, not have to like slide way over to the left side to use a piece of gear in stereo when I'm sitting in front of the left speaker. E- even now, I feel like I wish I could get gear closer to me. Like I, I just want like maybe even a portable rack right in front of me would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> in f- between me and the monitor, and you know, play stuff like that. But it, you know, trying to find the perfect desk for that is actually really tough. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, th- I think I think at the end of the day, I'm going to uh, lean more towards f- trying to invent something or design something that's weird. And, you know, for me, it doesn't matter. I don't work with people that have to use my setup or use my stuff. I can have the weirdest, most unorthodox way of working <laughs> as long as it works work. for me. Yeah, because you, you figure a lot of that furniture you look at, it's made for a pretty general purpose. Yeah. Situation. It's like almost going into a music store now. It's kind of geared towards just a normal person you know it's not really made for someone who does really advanced stuff right um yeah so it's hard to find desks i bought i have two slate ravens um nice in front of me and the biggest change i did and i bought i bought their desk um with the sidecars um so that works really nice everything's just right in front of me here but right in front but the biggest thing i did is up on top of that i put a uh, I guess it's a 42 inch television as a monitor um and I saw a few setups like that with something I everyone's had a a big tv monitor and and I thought "Eh, I don't know if I want to you know that doesn't make sense I have two screens already and I like lots of screens um yeah me too and uh so I bought a stand uh for a tv and I was waiting well what should what should I buy Uh, and I was worried about it not running properly on my system and leg and all this stuff. So I had a, a TV on the wall uh, just for watching stuff. If I ever want to watch TV or I'm in the studio. So I just took it off, placed it right on the stand. <laughs> and it's been here ever since. It's perfect. It's actually the right resolution for, it's not 4K, but it's the right resolution for 
my setup. It matches the monitors, the Raven monitors perfectly. And uh, that's a good idea too, yeah. in tandem with, with the two Ravens. Um, cause that's, uh, I, I've liked that setup aesthetically with the rate with the two Ravens and the Raven desk that they have. Um, but I've never been able to pull the trigger cause I can't get my head around sitting in the, between the split of the two screens, <laughs> but, but yeah, the, I know what you mean. Your, to, your top, your top screen at least would solve that. And, um, that, it does. that's, that, that's, that would probably, you know, I, sh- I should have thought about that when I was considering that, but, uh, Right now, I actually have just one of the smaller Ravens, and then I have a nice widescreen right above that, too. So, in in a certain sense, it's kind same, of the same, yeah, sa- same kind kind of thing. But um, yeah, I know exactly so. what you mean with the split, because when I first got them and and put the two together, because I started with one and I got the other one and I bought this, and it's like at first I was like, oh, this is, I, you know, I'm leaning always yeah. to the one yeah. monitor, right, to be in front of that one, and then eventually you just kind of got used to it and getting yourself back. Of course, you'd have to find center all the time. But yeah, the monitor front solves that. I keep that for my DAW um, and programming and editing. And I keep kind of the console portion of everything on the Ravens. Um, that, that makes sense. That's cool. Yeah, and it works Works great. So let's go back. You were, um, you're obviously a Canadian boy and yep. a fellow Canadian boy. And... Yep. Uh, so, were you you were born in Saskatchewan? Yeah, I was born uh, born in Regina, same hospital as my dad, um, and I lived uh, in Canada mostly in Saskatchewan um, until basically age fourteen until I finished grade eight. Yeah, um, and then we moved to Switzerland, uh, where where I lived for almost my whole all my teenage years, and then uh, we made our way to the states after after that, where I've been ever since. So. Um, so how young were you when you were getting into music? What were you playing first and, and what was the first dive in there? Yeah, no, I, I, I feel like, I mean, I was always around it, right? Because my, yeah. da- my dad and my uncle were in bands, you know, since the time I was born um, and before the time I was born. So, um, you know, I was always around musicians and I was always around bands. So that was, a, that environment was a very normal environment to me, so much so that, you know, as a kid, I didn't like think of it as interesting or um, unusual or anything. It was just normal. Yeah. Like being a being a into woodwork and having all your family be carpenters, and it's you know, you can you can whittle something, and everyone's like, yeah, whatever, I can do that too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, so it, for me, surprisingly, it wasn't until kind of later that I got into it as a musician. I suppose I didn't start learning learning how to play guitar. Um, and until uh, maybe I was like 12 or something and I, I tried piano lessons and things like that, you know, when I was younger, never really got into it. Always kind of hated the structure of yeah. learning theory and just learning, having to learn the boring stuff to get to the interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas guitar, uh, I started that playing in, in, in Regina, um, like had a guitar teacher named Mike Vansha. Um, and, um, that was exciting to me. That was, I could go to one lesson. I went to my first lesson, learned how, you know, asked how to play a Green Day song and realized, learned what a power chord was and realized I could write any number of songs as long as I knew what a power chord was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so even for me, when I went to guitar lessons, I almost just went for like the information so I could then go home and apply it to my own stuff. Yeah. 
um, the first thing I did was write a song. I wrote songs before I learned how to play other people's songs, basically. It wasn't interesting to me even to learn other songs. I just wanted to learn enough to learn a new chord, to take that chord back and write my own song. Oh, that's awesome. And write my, write my own song. So yeah. when I started playing guitar, um, honestly, within like three, four or five months, I got an old four-track recorder of my one of my uncles yeah. um, that my grandpa still had. And um, I mean... I mean, I I do this as if it's as if it's only a, a foot big, but it was probably it was probably yeah. probably you know two feet by two, three feet or something or something like that onto a cassette, and um, I started recording immediately. I just it to to me it just made perfect sense. If you're going to write something, why wouldn't you want to capture it? Yeah. Or if you're going to create create something, why wouldn't you want to capture it? So yeah, I wasn't even consciously being like, oh, I want to be a producer or even really understood what that meant i just knew i liked making songs and i wanted to be able to listen to them back <laughs> and it's cool you had something like a four track to start on right you look back yeah. at it now you probably think totally thank thank goodness you had that opportunity suppose oh, now yeah. you don't have that opportunity of starting on something that's gets you the fundamentals down really easy and, and it's still you know it, it taught me about multi-tracking which was a really exciting idea um and yeah especially yeah, I, didn't, I didn't grow up in in bands and even around a lot of other music music people my age so um for me it was like oh i could put a one track down and then sing it and then play something else on top of it and sing a background vocal and stuff so that that really excited me that all i needed was myself to make music yeah um and there was really nothing standing between me and doing that in a certain sense um, but then, you know, once you, and you, you still had to perform good though, you know, you, you, yeah, I could play to a click or something in my headphones, but, um, you know, I, it's not like I could just punch things one note at a time and put it together like you can now. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, so once, but once I got into like the digital side, um, I think at one point I had like cakewalk or something when I was oh, yeah. 15, when I was 14, maybe. And I realized I could take my four track demos on the cassette, dump them through my sound card into Cakewalk and then move some stuff around and start like cutting and arranging and, you know, and things like that. And that was kind of, you know, again, a whole other just op open your mind to what you can do. And, you know, I could start playing some synths to stuff in the box and, you know, whatever early things that that might have had. But um, I started using Pro Tools, I guess, by the time I was 15, I've been using Pro Tools for 20 years now. Yeah. Um, and that was that was a game changer all of a sudden to be able to program drums and use uh what was i using at the time sample cell i think oh, yeah. to uh yeah, to, yeah. you know to make instruments and put sounds in and make my own stuff and just uh, the potential was un unlimited at that time and um e even even though lots of people still weren't fully in the box and i think about all those early years of people being like well you can't really make a real recording just doing it like that and that was kind of the sentiment for a lot long time. And yeah. now here I am, I feel like 20 years later, doing the same thing I was doing when I was 15, just sitting in front of Pro Tools by myself, mo moving notes around. <laughs> <laughs> You're stuck in the vortex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Only somehow now it's okay. Would back that it would would back would back that it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, there there really was that weird time, right? Where between people, you know, using their traditional form of recording on tape and and then yep. this transition of this new idea of recording via Pro Tools or whatever there was. And really at that point, 
there was a few uh, different things, but Pearl Tools was really the the mainstay. I mean, they pretty well kind of are now, but there's there's not really as much as far as differences between most. They all kind of yeah. do the same we thing. All, They're just all different versions of the same tool. Yeah, yeah. They just wrap it differently. You know, that's how yep. I always say it. it's a different way of approaching the same same yeah. thing. But but it was like back then when you're programming drums, it was like those had to be either the demo drums for when you record them for real later or, you know, like somehow just people can, people didn't accept things the same way. Whereas now people don't care, you know, some people do, but I think the consumer isn't concerned about whether the drum kit's programmed or not. They're just concerned about whether it sounds good or feels good. Yeah. Um, and, and those sort of things. So I think we've shed so much now that um, it, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to just, uh, to not have as much bias, I guess, towards uh, a tool just because it's a digital tool, you know? Yeah, exactly. So obviously you mentioned you moved to Switzerland. Um, your dad yeah. got the gig working with Mutt Lang uh, and yeah. off to Switzerland you went. So what What was that? That must have been a bizarre experience, probably for oh, oh, you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it, it's probably, I guess, most bizarre maybe for me. Um um, just because of my age, I suppose, at the time. Uh, I, I went to, um, I started going to public public school when I was there, and it was all French-speaking, and we lived in a French part of Switzerland. Yeah, I didn't speak any French, so I was starting grade nine, high school, not being able to talk to anybody, <laughs> um, not being able to understand anything, sit, yeah. sitting in classes, just not understanding a single thing people said. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and, and that was, that was tough. I mean, I did, did that for a year and then I was like, no, I, I'm, I need to do homeschool or something. So I did Canadian homeschool after that first year and that was a lot better. And um, really, honestly, that's what afforded me the time to get into using um, Pro Tools. Um, we had every, every house in Switzerland and an apartment and everything have a bomb shelter in the basement. I thought you were going to say that's Pro Tools. <laughs> no, 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 I wish. No, no, they have a bomb shelter. Shel- <laughs> they have a bomb shelter in the basement. So we had this small room, uh, bomb shelter with a big, you know, foot, foot wide, probably steel, steel door with the thing, oh, you yeah, gotta, yeah. with the wheel you got to turn to lock, to lock, lock yourself in. Yeah. Um, and I used that as my little studio music space. Um, wow. So starting then I had that space. Dad brought a, a Pro Tools rig from from Mutt's, Mutt's studio to the house. Yeah. Um, and I'd you know I'd wake up, do my Canadian schoolwork for three four hours, and by one p.m. I was doing whatever I wanted in the in the studio, learning how to make make music. Yeah. Um, and and that's really where it started. And I think Dad just kind of kept un, unrolling one one piece of gear on me at a time and. Uh, so much of my education early on was really just me alone with one piece of equipment or two pieces of equipment trying to figure it out. And then, you know, every few days dad would come hear what I'm doing and be like, Oh, did you know you can do this? And show me, you know, (laughs) show me the next, next piece of information. But um, he really kind of did let me do my own thing early on. So I think I, that's when I kind of really developed a lot of my own style, learned how to multi-track different things, learned how to play different things. Uh, Again, I was in a part of the world where I couldn't, speak to anybody so I, I still had no band people or other mu- musicians to bounce things off of it was just yeah me myself a computer and every now and again my dad <laughs> <laughs> well you turned um, out all right after that i, I mean it's it, you know as 
it, it was it was a tough experience at the time, you know, just being a, t- a teenager, not able to socialize in a normal teenage ways that I expected yeah. to be able to by the time I was going to be a teenager. But in hindsight, I mean, that's what afforded me uh, the time, the opportunity, the even just the f- f- lack of other things to do instead yeah. of hanging out at, you know, seven, a 7-Eleven like every other North American teenager at the time. I was, uh, you know, sitting in front of Pro Tools and nobody I knew my age had any idea what that was. (laughs) Well, you probably look back now and I would probably guess that you were probably pretty happy you had that. Oh, yeah. That time. Um, Probably at the time you're thinking, oh, gosh. But um, man, what a great learning experience. And you didn't have all those other distractions. And um, those are the things that really, I think, cause issues for uh, people in their teens is is maybe not being able to focus on something they really want to do. And there's too many, it's too easy to rush off to Netflix or, or yeah. all those things where maybe you have an interest with something like Pearl Tools, but there's so many other things to pull you away from it. Um, totally. And when you're forced to kind of sit there, it's like having, you know, going to an old hotel room that has four channels on the TV you have to watch those four channels, right? <laughs> so yeah. you're going to watch things you didn't think you were ever going to watch, but then all of a sudden you begin to like it, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it, you know, it's certain, I, I, and I can relate. I was, when I was younger and I was a teenager, um, we built a little studio here at the farm to uh, do our family recordings and, and it was just me. And I really didn't have anybody to ask questions there really wasn't much there was no youtube at that point um so you just sit and practice and learn and there's a skill there almost like a troubleshooting skill you learn um there's multiple skills you learn because you had to figure it out on the fly and on your own so now those skills really come in handy um later in life it 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 really was you know in hindsight kind of the perfect storm of of good things that's that sort of set a foundation for me to to do what i do and you know even even pro tools time spent at the at at the time aside you know doing the homeschool was a similar exercise where they're mailing me a book and some assignments to, to, to fill out but i had i had to read the book myself i had to most of the time i couldn't even ask anybody a question about what i was learning i just had to figure it out send the work in get it right yeah. Um, so that it, it kind of applied to music stuff too, as I I didn't have, you know, tons of resources to to find things out or ask. So it was just, well, let me get the Pro Tools manual out and read it. And what else am I gonna do? <laughs> so yeah. So so, so I'm, I'm you know I think that really made me a good um, self starter. Um, just kind of I'm good at just being focused on my own and following something through and. Um, you know, I think that's really what it takes in a lot of ways to, to still to be a producer and to to spearhead something and then make sure it gets handed in on time and yeah. um, and that everyone everyone's happy and not not lose your mind in the process. <laughs> exactly. So obviously you came back from from Switzerland and where did you find yourself uh, at that point? Um we ultimately settled in in uh, the LA area for a about a year or a couple years, maybe, um, just about. And um, that was a whole other change. I mean, going from North, going from Canada to Switzerland was like so weird. 
coming back or even coming to the states was weird in itself too because then it was the same extreme but opposite um you know all of a sudden there's just so much available and so much sensory input everywhere and so many you know every, all, all the food's bigger all the cars are bigger all the roads are bigger just it, yeah. it, it traffic it's insane you know it just it felt like a different planet for sure and um um and you know i just kind of just continued on doing what i was doing at that time i mean uh dad was making the transition from from working for mutt to trying to get his own production gigs out here so i at that point i started working on almost everything he was working on um uh even if he was just hired to edit some stuff i was kind of editing under him and yeah. He was, you know, double checking my work and b- billing for his time rather than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I don't want to comp these vocals. You comp them. <laughs> yeah. No, to- totally. So, I mean, you know, at that point I was, you know, 16, 17, uh, uh, doing professional Pro Tools editing for labels and th- things like that. Um, I even had an opportunity to work with Mutt for about three weeks when I was 17, oh. um, at doing some work on a Shania DVD. Um, and you know, I was 17 doing 24 hour Pro Tools sessions, <laughs> not, not like, you know, not like 24 hours of breaks, like 24 hours sitting, sitting at, a, at the computer while mud's popping in every, every hour beside you saying, move that over, move that over, move that over. Yeah. Um, and all those things have been really just, again, so thankful for now at the time, it's like, I didn't know any kids doing 24 hour sessions of anything. Um, you know, but but now, I mean, it makes it makes a, a, a normal day seem easy when you've done all the hard days up front. <laughs> yeah, and, and I felt like in a lot of ways, uh, I worked extra hard then to to be able to endure things easy easier now. Yeah, I mean, still lots of great learning, lots of great lessons, and it's you're putting in those ten thousand hours type of thing. Um, it, it, yeah, and I mean, I would just you know. You, it seemed like then just technology was changing so fast too. There was really cool new things coming. I mean, synth, you know, computer plugins with synths and all that stuff were really developed really fast. Um, and that opened up more and more for me. The better I can make something, something sound on my own, the more cool stuff I could do because that's all I kind of had access to. Um, and, um, I just continued to make songs really, really just for the sake of, it's funny because I wasn't even like an artist or I wasn't trying to be an artist or I wasn't trying to be in a band, but I liked making songs. So I recorded them. I didn't know anyone to play on them or anyone to sing them. So I sang on them and played everything and just created for the sake of creating them really. Um, And, uh, you know, I had, I think, a website around that time uh, where I just put them up. It wasn't like, here's an artist page. It was just like, Here's my personal website, some songs I worked on or whatever. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, st- the story kind of got interesting there because, um, the, you know, the long and short of it is, is there, there, was a, there was a kid that found me on the Internet um, and loved my songs. And he wanted to hire me to make some songs like that for him. Huh. And I'd never done anything like that for anyone else. Yeah. Uh, so it was kind of like, I guess, my first my first production gig um songwriting production gig and i guess i was eight, 18 he was probably 16 and he c- came out and recorded three songs for him for like 750 bucks or something yeah and um and uh you know 
he, he went back home and, and, a, and a few weeks later, um, I got, got an email from the, you know, he paid, he had paid me with PayPal and I got, I got an email from PayPal saying, uh, I received some fraudulent money and they took it out of my account. And, <laughs> you know, you, you know, I, I, it's like, welcome to the music business. Right. <laughs> and, um, you, you know, and, and you know, that kind of set the beginning of, 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 you know, let's say two or three years of me actually dealing with this kid, um, who ended up kind of impersonating me. Oh. Um, and by, and by that, I mean, um, uh, he was taking my songs off my site, literally just putting them on his, it's me singing and everything. And he was all of a sudden launching himself as an artist with my own music. Wow. Um, on iTunes, played on the radio. He put a band together. He was playing gigs. Uh, I had never even played a gig in my life. Yeah. Right. And he, here's this guy playing my songs with a band saying these songs are his, saying these recordings are him and, and, it, and it wasn't and all that stuff. And because he was underage and I'm underage, or, you know, we're both teens and it's a, it was such a fantastic surreal story even if i told someone like hey this this kid's you know fraud you know impersonating me or frauding me people wouldn't believe it yeah. it was um, it was like oh yeah like prove it where's your where's your copyright notice that says uh he is and it's like here well then he got a copyright notice too so then it's like well what copyright notice is the real copyright you wow. know notice and it was just an ordeal i mean it, you know the the, the kid would call my phone in the middle of the night and play my songs on the voicemail and stuff like that. Like it was, it was weird stuff to be going through as a, as a teenager. And, and, but at the same time, um, it ultimately is what started me to take my music seriously as an artist myself, because all of a sudden here's this guy ripping me off saying my work is his and I have no uh, track record of even existing as an artist. Wow. So, whereas he could be like, what do you mean? How could I be lying? Because I played five shows and this guy's never played a show. And, you know, like I looked like the fraudster, yeah. basically. And my dad wasn't, you know, even who he was. And, you know, just the Internet wasn't as uh, didn't have as much information for people to find out who people are and to see who's legitimate and not. And um, I when I by the time I was 19, I ended up taking a gig in Dubai. Okay. Um, to uh to be a sound engineer in dubai i had a friend out there and he got me a gig and i moved out there with the intention to be out there for about a year and um about five weeks into it i get a call from a manager in la saying hey i've been working with this kid for six months i've almost got him a record deal and a publishing deal and he just admitted to me that all his music is yours (laughs) (laughs) and he's like what where are you right now? <laughs> uh, and I'm in Dubai, <laughs> in, the, in the Middle East. Why the heck are you in Dubai, in the Middle East? You know, you need you need to, you know, come out here now. I think I can get you a a deal, basically. Wow. Um, so for me, that began uh, the process of me kind of taking ownership as, over my music as an artist and being like, okay, like I am a solo artist, I guess. Yeah. And. Um, let me start pursuing that for real. So I, I moved back, um, and, you know, after a few, after a few weeks, I was supposed to be out there a year and I told the people I would have fulfilled my contract, but they, they let, they let, they let me go, um, and pursue this op- opportunity. So I moved back to LA all of a sudden had a big time manager that managed, you know, multiple Grammy winning people from, from Rick Knowles to Greg Alexander to, mm-hmm. 
Daniel Brisbois and just uh, even like Rob Rob Cavallo and and people like that. Um, So I had all of a sudden some other people to kind of look at and like just see what, you know, what that world is like. I mean, my dad wasn't really in the business of at that time yet of like writing songs and pitching them and stuff like that. And um, so that was a new learning experience for me again to, to meet other pro writers and people um, you know, even some of those guys like Greg Alexander, who was from the band, the new radicals, um, people that, you know, went from being a solo artist to making music for other people. Um, and I kind of realized I'm, I'm somewhere there. I knew that then even I was like, well, almost being an artist was like a plan B for me. It was, it, it was like, I just want to make songs, whatever that, whatever it takes to do that is what I'll do. I would rather just make songs than be sting. <laughs> or something <laughs> like that's how I thought of it in my head I'm yeah, like yeah. you know I don't want to be a solo artist like Sting I want to you know I just want to make good music so um you know did the rounds you know met with labels over and again did showcases all that kind of stuff almost got deals you know got offered deals I didn't take you know all that all that kind of stuff and yeah. um spent a couple of years kind of going go, going through that and um ended up after at the end of that uh, I guess I want to say I parted ways with my manager, but I didn't. I think I just kind of uh, scared him away, and then he let me go. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way I to mean, do it. Yeah, no, I mean I was a pretty spunky kid, I guess I would say, in terms of just you know uh, knowing what I wanted to do, and in my head, like I knew how to record things, so let me record my own stuff. I don't want to get a deal and have someone produce me when I already produced myself, and yeah, blah 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 blah. I mean, it. it you know, it's like, was it a, was it a mistake to, to be that stubborn? Uh, I don't know. Cause maybe, you know, in my case, it led me to where, I, where I am. Yeah. Um, but for, you know, new artists, <laughs> I'd probably suggest being more open-minded than I was at 19. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, mate, you were just following what you thought was who you were. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's a big lesson too. I mean, it works both ways. And what a bizarre experience on that guy pretending to be you. But then it works out in some bizarre way at the back end. I guess he, he got to a point for him that for publishing and all that stuff, he probably just began to crap his pants that he finally had to let someone know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it was something similar to that where like, um, you know, the manager wanted to connect him with someone to do like a remix of one of the tracks or something. And of course, he had no files. Yeah. He, he could he couldn't resing my vocal, you know, or anything like that. So, um, I think he was kind of backed up against backed up against the wall a little bit. And um, yeah, I mean, it was horrible at the time, but uh, but it really kind of forced me to uh, be more assertive about my my own art. <laughs> I, I guess. Have you uh, have you heard from that guy or know anything uh, about him now? Yeah, I, I mean, not not in a while, <laughs> not. Like not not a, I guess a few years thankfully, but it, yeah. for for a while it seemed like every couple of years I'd get a message and something just saying, "Hey, just want to say how awesome your new music is." And uh, you know, you should have wrote you, back. You mean yours? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it, you know, they're compliments and stuff. But I mean, we were, you know, it it doesn't excuse it that we were both young. But I can, I, I cannot dwell on it anymore anymore yeah. now that I'm, now, now that I'm older and I know you know where I landed with everything and stuff is is awesome so you know I, I don't I'm I'm still not sure if I would have as aggressively you know approached 
the music business and the business of um, creating music myself if it, if I if it wasn't if I wasn't sort of forced into having to to claim what I did. <laughs> so what what was it like doing showcasing in that when you haven't really done any live shows uh, really uh, before that? It was it nerve wracking? Yeah, and uh, and I'll be honest and say I, I don't think I ever really fully enjoyed the live experience. Um, both then doing stuff on my own, and then even even later, I was in, in uh, that morphed into other bands that I had and stuff. And um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think some people really really get off on that, mm-hmm. you know, being on a stage and playing for people. And at least at the time, I, I didn't. Uh, it was kind of like redundant in my head. It's yeah. like I, it's like if I was going to spend time, I don't want to. I want to spend time making new music, not playing the same song over and over after I've already been recorded, yeah. you know, or something. It just, it didn't excite me as much as making something new. So, um, you know, I think I also, you know, being a young guy at the time, I t- t- took it all more seriously than I, you know, needed to in some ways. I think my understanding of being an entertainer at this age is much more open-minded and um, and I, I realized how much it involves being a being a really good entertainer it's more than just making good songs and even playing them yeah it, you know you gotta learn how to really connect to an audience and um you know make make everyone feel part of the show and stuff and i, th- I think then i just wanted to be like let me just make these songs and play them and people should just like them and and you know and we had good experiences i mean there was a lot of you know cool opportunities that came from that but i don't, I don't think i ever got the high from it myself so yeah it kind of after a while, it just felt like a grind of like, well, why am I doing this if I don't even like it? And, you, you know, it, it, I don't know. Um, I can understand that. That makes perfect so, sense. So, 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 I mean, it, it, I, I kind of got burned out on that, you know, that from being in bands and stuff. I think after a while, I kind of got burnt, burnt out on chasing that side of the industry a little bit. And, um, you know, it, it, it felt like a constant process of writing new songs, playing them for a bunch of industry people, having them be like, these are amazing. These are awesome. Like what else you got? You know, and yeah. me being like, I just like recorded those yesterday. Like, what do you mean? What else, <laughs> what else do I, what else do I got? Like that is the new stuff, you know, and, and things. And I think even just all the, you know, the bizarre feedback you get when you start dealing with A&R people and stuff of, uh, I mean, I, I, it'd be even weird things like where it's like, this, this album's amazing. It sounds like a greatest hits album by an artist but is that weird because every song sounds like sounds like a hit or like a hit from a different era or like the things like like that and i in my head i'd be like told me it sounds like a greatest hits album yet you don't want to sign it because it sounds too much like a greatest hits album like i don't it's it's full of hits (laughs) you know and and it was always still like you know well we love this but what's it going to be like when you work with x producer and redo this song and in my head, it was like, well, I already did this song. <laughs> I, already, I already recorded and produced it. Like, yeah. And it's how I want it. So, uh, you know, I, I, I just couldn't wrap my head around, I think, some of those aspects. And I just felt like I was chasing my tail a lot. And, um, you know, just kind of taper, t- taper, tapered off slowly. I never, I never even meant to, I think, come to a full, full stop with, uh, with, with, with my band or anything. It just kind of happened. And then um, at the same time, I was always... Just continuing to work with dad, continuing to do whether it's all Pro Tools editing or or anything like that, um, and started to get clients, other clients myself, just people that like my band and that were like, yeah. "Can you hire? Can we hire you to do this?" Whoever it was, it could have been 
you know, someone's cousin's brother's boyfriend or <laughs> something. I don't, yeah. you know, I, I recorded everybody and anybody doing all kinds of music. And, um, um, and that evolved until eventually got some songwriting opportunities uh, through dad's projects. Um, I, I, I co-wrote an Aussie song um, when I was about maybe 23 or something. Awesome. Um, and that was like the first time I had an actual cut with somebody else. Yeah. Um, that was like, and I guess a notable person. I've could co-written song before them, but nothing that would have gotten, you know, nothing I could buy in Walmart. Yeah. Uh, and and that was the first time that happened, and I, I realized I loved that. That was exciting. That was ex- as exciting to me as anything I'd put out myself, even if it wasn't a single or a smash hit or anything. It was just like, okay, like people can record songs. I do. Um, That's pretty awesome. So it, it got that kind of all of a sudden got me moving that way. I didn't really get any work from that, to be honest. Uh, it's not like anyone really noticed that credit or anything like that. Um, but with some of the other bands uh, we worked with, they at least knew of it and they knew that, okay, if Kane co-wrote an Aussie song. Maybe it's okay for him to pitch us some songs too. Yeah. Um, so that actually led to uh, both a, a song with Five Finger called Remember Everything that I co-wrote. Um, and that ended up being like number two for several weeks, um, on the active rock charts here. Um, and that led to me doing a, uh, co-writing in, in this moment song called blood, um, which I get work from to this day. Um, still, still from that song and that record. Um, and by then it was just becoming my life. It was taking, taking over any time I had to even do my own stuff. So I just went full on into it. Put, put my uh, own, own work on the shelf for a minute and just started to focus on how do I make awesome songs and for as many people as I can. Yeah. So at that point, had you moved to, uh, to Vegas out of, out of LA? It, it, yeah. Hmm. None of that really, um, really started for me until we moved to Vegas. Vegas yeah. Um, of course, like the day we moved to Vegas was the, almost the day that dad got the Aussie call. Yeah. Which was in LA. So he, as soon as we moved to Vegas, he had to keep going. <laughs> yeah, he had to go back and forth all the all the time, and I'd go with him sometimes and do all the editing. And and he didn't really say yeah. that he was in Vegas, right? No, no. <laughs> no they, they, they had no idea that he that he was coming there every week, just you know, dri- driving into town just for that and stuff. Yeah, and uh, and we both kept it that way. Um, I mean, I still have a Los Angeles area code phone number because at the time our whole thing was let's just not tell anyone we're moving and just try to get still continue to do all the work we can so yeah um because we didn't know if you know all of a sudden being vegas guys would not qualify us for la work and stuff um you know because if, if if you know if someone wants to hire someone they want someone down the street not from another state even if it's remote work some you know yeah. at, the, at the time it was just a potential inconvenience so um we just set set up shop here we had a home studio at the time just in a bedroom I guess my rig, rig was in my bedroom. Um, I took out a bunch of credit card advances and bought a Pro Tools rig off Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And and I could at least do my own edit, edited work at, at home and uh, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, just yeah, could, could, just worked 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 and wrote as much as I could. So you're really always been pretty used to working on your own in a tight 
small environment. You can see why yep. you're, you're comfortable with that. That that's I, like home, oh yeah. home to you, right from a bomb shelter <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> up into where you are now. Um, a nice cozy environment is just makes you comfortable. Probably that's your happy place. Yeah, I mean, I you know I, I love working with people and I get along with people and all that. But at the same time, there's kind of nothing like coming in by yourself for a day and being in your own space. Like I said, doing what I've always done as a kid. I'll plug my DI guitar in and set my keyboard up and just jam with myself, program a beat, play something to that, just puzzle piece it yeah. to the next to, to, to the next step. Um, so yeah, no, that's when, when I'm in a big room, it's like uh, that scene in Batman where they're sitting at the the, 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 the the dinner table and it's like this long, long dinner table and she asks for the salts and he, you know, you have to slide the salt all the way across or, or yeah. get up and go walk the salt down <laughs> the other side of the room. And that's how it feels when I'm in the, uh, when I'm in the big rooms, people are too far away. Like even if I'm in writing sessions and stuff, it's like, I like to be able to like hand the guitar back and forth, uh, you know, without having to get, get yeah. up and do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You know, I, I guess I feel bad for some clients that probably would rather work in the big room, uh, maybe sometimes, but for me, it's, uh, no, it's my it's my happy place for sure. It's the it's the, it's the place in the world where I'm in the most in control, and uh, yeah. you know every aspect I am in, I am uh, I'm <laughs> able to manipulate myself. <laughs> no, it's good. I know years ago I I had a separate control room, and then my re- actual recording room with you know I have a couple of booths and the whole deal. And then one day I decided just to move all my gear into the main room. Um, you know, it's one of those things. So one of those yearly, let's change it up type of things. Yeah. And I haven't left since. It was, it's, I like being in the room with everybody else. It's a, it feels like I'm, when people hear I'm closer to them, um, you feel more part of the session. And, and, uh, and when I'm, it's just, it, now it's just me lots of times. And, and I, I like that too. I mean, I like, there's something I really have been enjoying this during COVID is if you're just in here by yourself, you get a bunch of files and there's not that real pressure that you have to get, you know, get it done right then. You have to get things done, but it doesn't yeah. mean that you've got a band, you got to get everything. You've got time where you're paying this whole pressure of all that stuff. It's nice to kind of be able to work with one person at a time or get some tracks in and then you're able to just kind of absorb things way better than, than when you're trying to fly through stuff. Um, uh, yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think that's one thing I'm even, I've even been lucky for during um, these pandemic times is, um, is really that kind of education. I mean, everything I know about working on my own and working remotely and um, just being already kind of streamlined for that process now the whole industry is moving, moving that, moving that way. And yeah. people are, you know, have their own home rigs and they're just sending me a vocal to pop into something that I, I've already worked on over here or, you know, doing zoom writing sessions and things like that. And, um, I, I think more and more, more and more of the business is kind of moving into our, our bedrooms to, to an extent. And, um, you know, big studios like, like, like ours are more useful for people that actually need, you know, more old school setups or let's say traditional things like jazz bands and big bands or people that need to record a grand piano and yeah. things like that. But you can do so much just 
anywhere at home. And, and, and I think just because of our education, I mean, our, our, because of my education, doing it like that, it's like, that's always just been the way. And um, I mean, the first even couple five finger death punch records um, I worked on with dad, we did those in our home studio with drums set up in the kitchen or in the dining room and mics in the kitchen and stuff. And we got some of the best sounds in those kind of environments. So for me, there was never that bias of like, we have to get to a pro space. Yeah. It, you know, if anything, I get the pro spaces and I'm like, why doesn't this not sound as cool as the drum sound we used to have in our kitchen, you know, or something. I mean, just, you know, get, get, as we, as we both know, I mean, getting the, you know, an expensive piece of equipment or ex expensive instrument doesn't necessarily make the music better or isn't yeah. even always necessarily better. I mean, an expensive microphone isn't, always the, the the best thing for the job <laughs> yeah it's funny i just finished a a track and uh and i had uh steve warner country guitar player singer from nashville sing on it and you play guitar on it so he sent me his vocal tracks and he was doing harmonies uh and a singer from up here jim waiter was playing uh singing the tune and they had cole written the song so i got the tracks and I listened to them and it's like, got to the chorus and it's like, shit, they're distorted. <laughs> you over, <laughs> you overdriven, you know, something was, you know, probably the mic pre was just driven a little hot. Yeah. Performance is great. Just a little burry, you know, it's just like, and I sat here, it's like, am I, I going to ask him to do them again? <laughs> and it's like, it's like <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to ask him to do them again. And so I decided I'd just work on it and see if I can get them slid in there in a nice spot that it's not too bad. And uh, sure, I not a single person who's listened to it in a mix environment has commented. I, and I hear it every single time. I mean, I hear it in there. And uh, not a single person has mentioned, hey, I think there's something a little uh, funky in the course there with... <laughs> I mean that's 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 amazing and now we've 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 seen some we've done some, we've seen and done some crazy things like that too I can think even recently um dad did a uh an acoustic track or an acoustic version of a song for a, a band called dead <clears throat> and um I can't remember the song title at the moment but um but the singer recorded his vocal into his iPad microphone Oh no! Way. <laughs> and that's the vocal that's on radio. That's awesome. You know, and 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 it's even when I heard, it, I'm like, well, how does this even sound as good as it does? It make you know, yeah. but that just goes to show. I mean, you you mix things right. You have a, we have so many tools now to smooth some of those things out or to fudge some of those things a little bit. And it's probably compressing uh, that. I mean, it's it's compressing in there and and the whole deal, right? It's. It, yeah, and it's, it's and it was supposed to be sort of an acoustic live vocal anyway, so yeah. it sounds you know raw and kind of naked, but still surprisingly compressed good and stuff. That's awesome. And and that's just so. I mean, and we, we've done other stuff where we've used like pieces of a voicemail in the song as actually as a verse vocal and stuff like and stuff like that. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's where to me, there's never been. I've never been concerned with what the rules are ever no you know when it comes to comes to recording one because i never knew them in the first place yeah and then by the time i found them out they didn't apply to me because i'd already broken so many of them 
<laughs> well, so, just, so, so even now, I mean, I'm the, I'm what I would what I tell people, and and probably an, an anti purist, if if anything, I I will use everything in the kitchen sink, and I don't care, nothing's off limits. You know, the only way I'm not going to do something is probably the traditional way. <laughs> well, how many people nowadays? listen to music in front of a set of studio monitors or have a great home stereo system at home. You know, remember being younger and wanting, you know, nice stereo system, nice big speakers and whatever, yeah. something real hi-fi. And uh, now it's just, you listen a lot on AirPods and um, yeah, it, wherever, wherever's convenient. Yeah. Really. And, and I'm guilty of the same thing. I mean, here I am, you know, and, and a, a quote unquote pro audio engineer. And I listen to my music on my wireless AirPods. And at home, I got my, uh, I mean, I, I got the nice Sonos speakers, but most of the time I'm just listening in mono with speakers splashed across my house in different different areas. And that's how I'm listening at home too. I mean, I'm not, unlike those times as a kid where I go to like my grandma's stereo or something, so, someone that I knew had a good stereo and I'd sit between the speakers and I'd really listen. You know, now everything is, you know, like a soundtrack to whatever you're doing and, and, and stuff. And, yeah. um, I think people's listening habits lean more that way. And, um, so I, I like to reference my music that way. I know, I know if it sounds good on my AirPods and on my, you know, mono Sonos speakers at, at home, then it's good. <laughs> yeah. There's always that spot that, that crappy spot that you have to check to make sure it, it feels good. I mean, it's, that's, it's not always the you know fifty thousand dollars speakers. It's the totally. It's the five dollars speaker that really makes the difference in whether your mix sounds good or not. Totally. That's why even actually I love these um, new Slate headphones. Uh, the I think called these? BSX. Yep. See, <laughs> um, see, so you got the nice label label and stuff on yours. I think mine uh, mine are the beta version, oh, so yeah. I don't even have the nice uh, side decals yet. But uh, they're awesome. Uh, but they're cool, and and you know a lot of people have hit me up and asked me questions about them because they see have seen I have them and they know I use lots of Slate stuff, and you know they're always wondering are they, do they sound like really great and all that kind of stuff and and like they do they sound they're they're great pair of headphones but what I love most about them is actually the bad sounding environments yeah. that I can I can monitor so rather than me having to do a bounce and go listen on my AirPods, I can just select the AirPods setting and I can listen to the car setting and I can listen to the boombox setting and the club setting. I don't care how NRG sounds or how, how, how Howie Weinberg's mastering studio sounds. I'm already in a good space that sounds, sounds great. I need to know how it sounds in the real world yeah. across, across a range of consumer devices because that's who I'm making music for. So, um, I love them particularly for that. It's like people ask, you know, people always want to know about the the, the awesome models on them and how good those sound. And I'm like, I actually listen to them for the, for all the you know the, the lowest <laughs> quality settings. Yeah. you could you could listen for. I'm the same way. I <laughs> I have good monitors. It sounds good in here, and I want to hear what it sounds like in the car. Or uh, it, that was the big difference. The first mix I did, uh, and I was pretty well. I thought done my mix. And then they came in uh, and I popped them on and I spent a bunch of time just really listening to different things. And I thought, oh, let's throw my mix in them. And um, I started making a bunch of changes. And, and then I realized I hadn't really 
done a separate save. <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, <laughs> crap. Did I dig myself into a spot I can't get out of now, right? <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, all right, we'll see. And man, I couldn't believe the difference in my mix after I had gone through a couple of those um, different models, especially the Tesla model was the one that, that for me, um, I tend to kind of go back to all the time. Um, yep. and, uh, yeah, that's, that's the thing. And I, I barely go to, you know, the, the real pros too. And I, I don't really find those rooms too exciting for me. I mean, it's, it's, it just, yeah, it's, it sounds fine. It's like a random thing. I might just check for a second, but, yeah. but for, but for me, yeah, I want to know they sound across. It's almost the opposite of what you're mixing with speakers, you you know, you mix with good speakers, and then every once in a while, you want to hear what it sounds like crappy. But those headphones, you listen to a lot of crap, and then every once in a while, you listen to what it sounds like when it's good. Flip on the monitor, it's <laughs> yeah. like, yep, yeah, that's sounding better. And back to the crap again. Um, but yeah, I think they're uh, they're awesome. I can't wait till they come out with more models and stuff too. Yeah, I'd love to see like I'd love to hear more things. I mean, even like uh, g- give me a good MacBook Pro speakers. You know, one. I'd, I'd even love to hear like a television set one or yep. something. Um, Google tech, Home even, Pod. <laughs> yeah, even things like a like a movie theater or something like that. Oh, you yeah. know, I'd be. You know, I want to. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, call me crazy, but I'll I'll even take one like a mall setting or a grocery store setting or something would be would would, would be great. You know, yeah. I, I want to hear sitting in Cheesecake Factory setting where, where music's actually heard. <laughs> yeah, when you're in the gym running on the treadmill, hearing the music overhead, the 24 hour fitness speakers, like I, you know, that's where people are listening to music. That's actually <laughs> so a, that, a great idea. Like being <laughs> with ambience around you, with your music kind of tucked away, yeah. so you hear what pops out and what doesn't pop out, and um. That yeah. would be great. Yeah. Me. No, totally. Like a, a mono Google HomePod speaker or something like that. Like yeah. one. What does that sound like? That's that's the model I think would be really great too. Just because a lot of totally. people just have a single. Um, you know, I buy those things. I always buy yeah, my pairs. Google like Homes a, and the Alexas. And, yeah. Yeah. All, no, to- no, totally. Not, I, you know, you wonder what the average of people have them in stereo. Um, or probably very few um they'll have just one in one room and one other one in another room um and you just turn them on and you walk around and there it is and you need to know what that sounds like collapse down into into model and a little speaker no totally i mean you know it, everything sounds good coming out of my studio space pro you know pro speakers and all that stuff but um yeah i mean I, the when I'm dialing a mix in, the things I hear the most are when you're listening to those settings and you're like, oh, maybe the guitars don't collapse to mono right and I need to do something there. Or, uh, you know, maybe for some reason the hi-hat sticks out way too loud on all those settings or so, or something like that. And you just gives you a good baseline to tighten things up. I mean, that's what the headphones did immediately. First mix, I'm like, did my mix before I had the headphones, put, put the headphone simulations on and then tweak, tweaked from there and just totally just tightened it up and you know flattened out some problem areas and smoothed some things over and um and you know i I love any tool these days that can help me um quickly make something better even if it's just five percent yeah but 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 quick and dependably enough i don't need like a magic some magic fairy dust to totally change my mix i need to 
you know, make everything just a little bit better. So anytime I can find any it's a piece of equipment or a plugin that it's as simple as almost just turning it on and fiddling with it for a few minutes and you're better than where you, wherever you were. Uh, I love those kinds of things. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, they got a lot of, you know, good write-ups uh, right off the, the bat, but a lot of people were, it's always people who are going to say crappy things about them, but it's yeah, whatever sure. tool you have to make whatever you do work for you. And it doesn't Agreed. matter if it costs, ten thousand dollars or cost ten dollars if it works it works and um you know i think there's too many people too worried about uh you know everything about how good every little piece of the equipment is and sometimes oh, yeah. you don't always need that you need a few of those pieces um but they don't yeah, all I mean, have to be that totally i mean same thing with the, the slate microphone which i which i use a lot yeah, I got that. You know, too. people always send me questions like, does whatever model sound exactly like the real thing and blah, 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 blah. For me, I don't even care. Like, uh, like the answer might be yes in, in, in most cases, but all I care about is does it sound good? Yeah. I don't care if I use this C12 model and it sounds exactly like, like an actual C12. I'm just concerned about does it sound like a vocal sound I want and does it sound, does it sound good? Um, in my head, I'd rather it be better than a C12, <laughs> yeah. for, 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 for example. But if I can't, you know, if I can scroll through a range of professional sounding things and be like, any one of these are awesome, that's great. I don't, I'm not, you know, in that way, I'm not, a, I'm not a purist where I'm like, oh, something's missing about this. You know, anything I want to get out of something, I can EQ, I can tweak. I think that's just my sort of gorilla style, bedroom style of working that, you know, I don't care if I got a, you know, or, or in some cases, I figured out workarounds for things maybe people just haven't figured out those workarounds for. I don't want to have to work that way. For yeah. me, I've just always worked in a way where I can manipulate anything. And my opinion is, you can give me one microphone and a laptop, and I can I can make a rock record on it. <laughs> I don't care That's what's good. what's microphone or what's laptop. <laughs> so when you record the slate. Uh, with the slate microphones, uh, yep. are you recording just flat in and then deciding later uh, yep. what model you want yeah. to use? Uh, yeah, I mean, I might have the model I want or the model I think I want already on or sometimes maybe a more general vocal template um, already going um, that's not too extreme one way or the other. Um, and um, and then and then I tweak from there and I find... You know, I find there's two or three models I like the most usually, but it's it's not the same every time. And sometimes I want a different model on background vocals than I want on the lead vocal, and yeah. just cer certain things that kind of allow room for more texture and just more, I guess, n nuance between all the parts and and stuff and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm never I'm never committing to anything, and I'm I still change things right to the end all the time, and I. I love that. I mean, after using the, that mic long enough, the first time I went to mixing something random that I had that didn't use that mic, I went to like go change the microphone. <laughs> I said, you know, and I realized, oh yeah, I can't do that with a normal microphone. And it, you know, those, that almost becomes a barrier in my head of just, I want maximum flexibility all the time. And I love that. I also like things to be as dummy proof as they can be. I mean, you talk about the, 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 the guy that had the vocals clipping you know, this is the kind of microphone you can re recommend to anybody. And as long as you're not clip clipping on, on, on the way in, 
you can do whatever later. But yeah. people that start getting these, you know, complex chains up front that maybe are sometimes it can be even a good chain, but maybe it just doesn't work that day for that source. And they get so used to being like, well, we got to go through this compressor and this this limiter, and they give you something just too processed and too, you know. I, I hate that. Yeah, you uh, can't pull me, that out. As a as a mixer, as a producer, I want the driest, most flexible source possible, and I can do all that stuff later. And um, so, yeah, I recommend it lots for lots of clients and even remote people. I people I work with remotely, um, it's just so dummy proof. I don't I don't, don't got to explain anything except make sure it doesn't go in the red. Yeah, <laughs> and and it's one knob, you know, and we could add the preamp and the mic and the compression and you know every, every everything later. Yeah, it's it's the microphone, and anyone asks me what should I get, um, unless they have on stupid budget, um, it's always get the slave mic. I mean, it's yeah. it's so many options with that, uh, and it sounds and great. Until you, and, and until it sounds you great really, on its own. Yeah, I mean, and until you can make good things come out of that, like how can you make how can you even expect to make good things come out of the actual mics? You know, because th- there's so much more. You know easy to mess up and just you know i mean just from owning a place with lots of vintage equipment there things are always going down we're constantly having to get mics serviced and sent out and all that stuff i know if my even my slate mic goes down i can know i can go to well i can probably call steven up and get him to send me one but worst case i could go down to guitar center and get one and it's going to sound exactly the same as the one that i have yeah and not not be like oh the 47 sounded different on this day than it did three months later than it did you know when we got something replaced in it and all, all that kind of stuff. So I, I like that reliability and consistency and just just flexibility. I don't have to think about it. None of, none of my clients are patient enough to want to stand there in front of a mic while I set up nine different microphones, going through two different preamps, going through four different compre- compressor options to figure out which one works. Yeah, They just want to sing, you know, and, um, and this, this allows them to to do that and allows me to not have to w- worry the whole time that I'm going to choose the wrong microphone or the wrong microphone for the part. Even, I mean, I work with a lot of singers that, um, you know, go within one song, go from whispering to singing to screaming. So they're all very different treatments. A lot of the, a lot of the time. And this just allows me to worry about one thing. Now, now, you know, if someone didn't have the six, seven, 800 bucks or whatever it costs for the slate mic, I'd, I'd suggest the mics you and I are using right now, which is an which SM7, about, yeah. 7B. Just, you know, you, you know, good, versatile, hard to mess up. Sounds good in a lot of voices. You, you kind of can't, you know, kind of dummy proof in that sense. You kind of can't go, go go wrong for the three or 400 bucks this costs. But yeah. the, n- next step up, I'd go to the slate mic and I wouldn't even worry about going past that unless you just know exactly what mic you want for your voice and you're like, Mariah Carey or Celine Dion or something, and you're like, I have to have this one mic all the time going through this particular chain. Yeah, I, I, I'm not that guy. I mean, I, I'll I'll change my chain every every song, every band, whatever I think it requires. Yeah, makes sense. I have my uh, whole house kit uh, mic'd up with with Slate mics and the little awesome. the little guys uh, yeah. on toms, and I even have the little guy and the big guy. Um, on the kick drum, uh, and it's surprising, and I always forget model numbers, whatever they want to yeah, say the little too. guy is. Um, <laughs> I always call him little guy, big guy. 
<laughs> how much bottom end there is in uh, the little uh, slate mic. Um, it sounds yeah, we re- pretty good. We, we recently just did a whole bunch of um, different drum samples, um, different different kits, different settings, um, you know, different setups and all that. And my favorite ones were actually the one set that we did with just the slate mics. Yeah. Um, and you know that was an, that was an experiment for Dad because he had never even used the, the vocal mic that I use all the time. And I was like, you should try this. You know, get the VRS box for like a portable rig. You know, he, he went up to the cabin and recorded them in our cabin. Yeah. Just you know, in the in the living room and the best sounding drum samples of all the ones we've done. Awesome. <laughs> not not going through you know the SSL, not going through all the all the vintage gear here, and they sound great. They're flexible. Yeah. Just it's killer. I mean, uh, if I was starting all over again and literally had nothing and just, you know, a, a couple thousand dollars or whatever to get going, I would, I would say, get the, get the VRS, get the V, get the VSX, get the, uh, get the slate, slate microphones. And there's no reason you can't make an awesome song with that. Yeah, I, I agree. Actually, you took a bunch of the little guys, uh, uh, on some live gigs. Um, and they sound great in front of guitar amps um, for a bunch of things. And I, I've told a bunch of live guys, buy a bunch of these. I mean, they're they're super cheap, um, yep. and they sound really great. And they're very discreet. They get out of your way um, and try them. And everyone thinks they're a recording, but just straight out of the box, just on their own without the processing, um, they still sound really good. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know of any mics that are probably cheaper or as cheap that provide that much like versatility, yeah, and and quality right right outside the box. I mean, it's like yeah, maybe a fifty seven is the only thing at that price pr- price point or, or or something that you know is a traditional quality quality mic. But these are obviously so much more than than that. And I think in the world, you know. You know, we talk about trends and stuff and again for so many years a mixer or a producer mixing his own stuff let alone mastering his own stuff or anything else was kind of like a taboo and something that a lot of people weren't doing um, now we're seeing more of that we're seeing producers become mixers of their own stuff yeah so for someone that is um, that does mix their own stuff that's just the ultimate it's the ultimate flex- flexibility it's the ultimate you know manip- manipulate you can manipulate everything great, easy to do, sounds great, easy to set up. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't can't say enough good things about that kind of technology. I mean, that that's the stuff that really excites me moving forward. Is just what else can we do? Like, yeah, that's 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 the stuff I dreamed about my whole life. Was like, how, how could I, how could I have a whole recording studio and one little two space rack yeah. you know and, and that's know. where that that's where we are and you got access to every mic and every console and every tape machine emulation and all that stuff with with just you know a handful of plugins yeah it's it's fun and it's not expensive i mean it's that's the great thing it's not as if the slate microphone or any of that type of thing is a 10 grand um in the theory it should be i mean it's sort of like yeah. for what it gives you and all those options um, compared to what it would take to buy all those microphones, uh, the model microphones and that, 
It's and maintain them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's just an amazing price. My drag in my setup because I told you earlier that I I kind of switched to using Luna. Um, I have a couple of the VRS eights in my rack, plus I have my Apollos, and I used to have them all running together. Um, and and now, like with Luna, you just can't do that. You got to stay within the Universal Audio environment and use the Apollos okay. um, just to get the no latency stuff happening and all that stuff. So right. they're, unfortunately, they're most of the time sitting there. Um, but I'm hoping that there's going to be a way for me to get them in the chain yeah. as well. But um, they're not going anywhere. I'm not selling them this thing right there. <laughs> I know they're going to work their way back in there. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, all that even take with things that Aluna is doing now. Uh, and I think that a lot of the other guys are going to look at that and kind of go, oh, we need to really step up our game and 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 see whether we can treat this more like a console and, and give those type of um, gain structures and, the uh, you know, everything just works more like you're sitting in front of a console, but you're in front of your screen. It feels right. way more like right. that. So. But yeah, it's exciting how every year it's, you know, I see you had a camper behind you and all that stuff. Um, I mean, every year it just gets to a point where you're just like, what's what's going to happen next? Um, and it's it's pretty wild. It's pretty neat. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like even just the last couple, every, so many things have gotten so much better. And, and there's so many exciting plugins coming out that just do amazing things really easily that I never even would have thought about. You know, I think uh, my hope is that we're moving past doing all the, um, you know, the same emulations over and over of the same things. You know, I don't don't care, you know, I don't care about that stuff as much. I just want quality and functionality and, and new tools to be available. So I don't, you know, I don't need another copy of a particular compressor or another copy of a particular EQ. I love things like, fab filter that is eq that's so 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 many bands so easy odd odd automation bands within it a mix knob within it yeah like you know those kinds of things or even a plugin like soothe um yeah that's a great one that just just seems to be like i can put it on anything and make almost anything a little better with it yeah um and really quickly and really easily and um it it just i want to see more we're seeing lots of cool tools that are now to me, the next generation of stuff. It's like, we went through the process of like, how do we take all the stuff we're currently using and make it digital? And now I'm hoping we're kind of moving on to the next thing. You know, we yeah. don't, we don't need to keep copying mics from 40 years ago. I I, I don't think, I mean, I, I've always kind of, and you know, that's my, I know that's my philosophy too. And so <laughs> I, I clash with certain, you know, usually purists <laughs> on lots, on lots of these, lots of these things. Cause I'm just not romantic about, anything but yeah. the way i think about it is like you know the, the the beatles weren't thinking about like what kind of mics frank sinatra was using on the on their guitars or what kind of guitars people were playing 40 years before them led zeppelin were thinking about that they were all using the current technology of their time trying to push forward yeah um and they were all in a race to use whatever was the most current and then for like it feels to me like my whole childhood and first 
20 years of being alive, it was all like this race to be like, how do we do things how everyone used to do and keep that magic going? But I just, I just never understood why should things end there? You know, why, yeah. like, why can't I give me a guitar that sounds like how I imagine guitar sounding in 2040, not in 1940, yeah. you, know, or, <laughs> you, you know, like, yeah. I, you know, that's just the young rebellious guy guy in me i guess but um from a from a philosophical perspective it's just always i just want to see technology grow and uh just i think there's more creativity to be had as as the tools expand um you know especially into tools where it's like there's plugins now where you can't even recreate them in a external environment um or even or even honestly traditional plugins um like a like a tape emulation i mean or console emulation the way I might mix is I might have a different console emulation for my drums yeah. than I do for my guitars, than I do on my mix and a different tape setting or speed for different a- a- or bias for different aspects of the mix. And if I wanted to recreate that mix with those real things in real life, I would need like five consoles in a room yeah. and three different tape machines. And it would take me a month to do probably a mix that I do in, you know, eight, eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> I know it, it's true. So, so, Everyone so thinks, well, it, yeah, I have to use all, you know, all Neve or all API or whatever you want. And why can't yeah. you just have, you know, API on drums, Neve on this, whatever you want on that. Um, yep. They don't all so, have to be across the board. So, totally. So I, I like to approach, you know, even when I'm using, a traditional tool or a tool that we use in a particular way i like to always think about well, how can i how can i try something else you know let me let me put three of those plugin instances in, in a row back to back and set them all differently and see what see see what happens and you know maybe those are things sometimes that sometimes that i find you know people that are too romantic about how they used to be used and stuff aren't even thinking about they're just still trying to use those things in the same way yeah. and I, I i always encourage like try you know every combination of things on anything and you, that's the great thing about being in the box you can't you can't break anything you yeah. know we're, worst case you put get too many plug-in instances going and things crash and you got to restart but you, you know you're not going to lose anything the way you would if you were actually doing those things in the real world and you know bouncing things down to tape and you know all, all that kind of stuff uh so so it's yeah you know i always encourage people break break the rules and that's how you'll find th- different stuff even accidentally yeah. Sometimes what's not supposed to work is the thing that works best. <laughs> well, I, I've always said too, and it goes with instruments, it goes with gear and everyone's trying to emulate something from 40, 50, 60 years ago. And with today's technology and everything you're doing, why can't we make something that's better than an Eve preamp or better than a whatever, right? Um, yeah. It always seems like everyone's chasing, like you said, we don't need another... SSL channel strip emulation. Um, there's 50 of them to choose from. Um, yeah. And why isn't there a new strip, you know, combination of some new console that you know, nobody has heard of before, right? And that so, ends up totally. being the thing. Um, totally. And even the, even the funny thing is, is I feel like lots of people that even use that stuff um, haven't even used the original thing, you know, including no. myself, inclu- in, in, you know, myself included, but... You know, I, I could never understand how people could be purists to something that they never actually 
experienced firsthand themselves anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's like, like a wish list, right? Mental yeah. gymnastics that I don't quite under, quite understand. So, I mean, even when I'm using those things, that's why I'm not romantic about them because I don't know how you actually used a tape machine. I never had had to use one. I just put a plug in and sense on and try every setting until I realize which one I like the best. I don't even know, you know, what it means or what I'm doing or why it's wrong or why it's right. I just know I turn the knob all the way this way and I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's, that's what it comes down to. It's, it's great. So as far as, uh, since we're kind of on plugins and talking that stuff, what, uh, what's kind of your go to two or three top plugins that you like to go to, uh, you seem to pull up all the time. Yeah, sure. Um, I, th I think over the past year or two, I've really got into the Kush plugins um, that they make. Particularly, um, I love their Hammer EQ. Um, I love their AR1 compressor. I think it's like a Moo style compressor or something. Um, and their their Clairphonic um, plugins really quite amazing. Um, the, the, their plugins were so good to me that that was the. I was completely in the box before I bought their plugins. And then I got the plugins and was like, these are so good. How, how much better can it get? So I got, honestly, hardware versions of most of, uh, most of the gear, I think every piece of gear that they have um, in my rack. And I have one rack here that's all Kush stuff, Clairphonic, Electra, Omegas, Tweakers, Fatsos, uh, all, all that. Um, and they just sound so good. I, I find it really kind of was a missing link for me of wanting things to sound less digital, but still like separated. It's so, so it's like I find the, both the plugins and the gear kind of give me some extra what I at least imagine to be analog style kind of glue yeah. um, and maybe make it feel like there's a little more electricity inside um, some things um, without being like all of a sudden it sounds like it's a, like tape or old or, or or something it's almost like i get some extra low-end warmth from lots of their stuff and i get like this extreme awesome high end that never sounds harsh i can i can like take some of their things and just crank them full on to the you know almost what should be like the harshest setting and it's still just not unpleasing to me so i, I find it's it's just maybe it's a it's a certain kind of saturation, and I'm generally I think drawn more to tools that can um, saturate things differently. I think that's just part of my style and how I like like everything a little crunchy, everything a little distorted, everything just uh, I don't know, just what I like. Yeah. Um, so, so they really allow me to do that. Obviously, I mentioned Soothe, Soothe earlier that and Fab Filter EQ. I mean, those are those are for sure staples. Um, what do you use Soothe on? Do you just kind of throw it on anything? I'll I've put on everything from uh, vocal to a harsh overhead symbol to uh, to master. Yeah, I haven't tried um, it on a master before. I gotta try that. I, I was afraid to. Yeah. When I when I, I mean I, I mean a tool like that I think um, can be a dangerous tool in the wrong hands anyway. Um, and and it's the kind of tool that um, just actually like the Clairphonic thing that that I have by Kush, where like it. It kind of makes everything sound better, but deceivingly, deceivingly better. Where you can, it's easy to go too far, or it's, you know, just like a, any DS or a dynamic EQ, it's easy yeah. to cut too much out or just overdo something. Um, so I try to use it sparingly. But the fact, like the suit at Soothe has like an 
you know, a, a mix knob and just a lot of good settings for really just using it subtly. Like I'm not using extreme things on my master because I don't, I don't like to do anything too extreme on my master. If there's a, if I have to do something too extreme on my, on my master, I feel like there's something wrong with my mix. Yeah. So I'm always, I'm always trying to go to the source to fix something rather than do it in mastering. But if it's just a little extra low end woof that you need to get out or a little, little harsh high end buildup or something like that, uh, it's really cool. Um, and it does that really easily. And um, uh, I, re- I really like they have the Delta mode on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you can you can click that and just and just hear what it's taking out. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I use it most most of the time is I just set it on the delta mode and just try to take out just the stuff I don't want. Yeah. Um, and 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 use it use it that way. So I, I can kind of use it as a deesser sometimes. I can it's great on any harsh like cymbal kind of build up and stuff like that. I, I haven't really used it on guitar or bass, but I I think there's really no rules with it, um, other than how many instances you can functionally use on your system at once. But yeah. I, I got a I got a good system, so I don't have to worry uh, about that. Anytime I've done like mixed courses, people are like, I would never be able to put as many plugins on it <laughs> <laughs> in a session as you're doing right now with no problems. But um, yeah, I mean, the most important piece of gear to me is my computer and its ability to, to run a lot of instances of plugins. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty exciting now with the new Mac chips um, and what that's going to change uh, for processing for us, like in, in the studio. So once they get built out their, their pro rigs, um, yeah, it's going to be insane. I, mean, I think it's just going to be just crazy. The amount I, of, I, I'm, yeah, I mean, it's already crazy, you, you know. I mean, I have one of the new, whatever, cheese grater Max. Yeah. And um, it's it's amazing how much stuff I can run on it and just never run out. And, and, and how little now we even having to use, like, HDX card or anything like that. For Like, I have one, but mo- most of the plugins don't even use it anymore. And um, and I you, you, know, you used to need that to not put so much to not tax your system so hard and, and and nowadays it's like well i can tax my system as much as i want but i don't even need the H, hdx card and I, I know dad's even doing a lot of um work at work at home now just uh just on a native rig basically and it's as seamless as he as he needs it to be and yeah. um and, and i want to do more of that too put some portable rig together and just go up to the cabin or go on a vacation but still do some do some work easily when i need to it's nice to be able to leave your work environment for another environment because <laughs> you spend so much time there. And I think that's what goes into, you know, a yearly changeover of the studio layout or whatever. It's just so it feels fresh or. Yeah. It's, it's like not, moving the furniture around in your apartment after you've, after you've lived there long enough. Yeah. You know? It's all the same it, thing. Just making it, it more it, comfortable. Totally. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm constantly, you know, even if it's just small things like changing the, kind of mood lights I have or uh, you know, even, the, even the scent of a candle you know it's like there's a particular scent I've liked uh, you know that I like more than others but it got to the point where I'm like I just want a new smell yeah I, I, I don't have to it doesn't have to smell better it, it, I just you know I need just a, a different space and a different energy and I mean even within a session it's like just 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 cleaning your studio makes it feel better I know <laughs> 
you know, just even if you're doing fixing stuff, you can't see like the cables behind your desk or something or something like that. Like it gives you some different peace of mind. And, uh, you know, I don't know, for, for me, those things all help. Even even with guitars, I have visible or th- or things like that. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, I'm not even using them. I'm like, let me, let me just put five different guitars here, <laughs> just so I can see different stuff yeah. in front of me and feel, you know, you know, inspired by something different. <laughs> I remember when I I came to the studio there to to do an interview with your dad, and he's taking me through, and he said, oh, "This is Kane's studio," and he says, and he kind of said, I, "I don't know what it's going to look like when we go in." <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, it's, yeah. it's probably going to be a little messy and and sure enough yeah it's messy <laughs> yeah it was no, I, mean, I mean when i'm in the middle of stuff i kind of get into mad scientist mode and stuff but um that's part of the reason i redid lots of stuff because i kept finding myself in that position yeah just too many too many patches in the patch bay it had the whole spaghetti going on you know coming out of it and just crisscrossing cords across the floor and stuff so now now i got it so it's Everything can be put away nicely, but still set, still set up and um, and flexible without having to Frankenstein <laughs> some things across across the room to do to do something. But I mean, I mean, generally, I do uh, I do like to always at least start a project with a clean space and yeah. um, see you know, where it have, goes. <laughs> have everything neat, have everything ready to go. Yeah. So now with what you're doing, what what's your favorite? Are you still Obviously, you're writing, you're producing, you're engineering, you're doing all that stuff. Do you have one now that you, if you had to choose, you can only do one of those things that you would still grab it? Would it be still songwriting or is it, what? what's the one that uh, yeah. really makes you excited now? I think, um, I think songwriting is the most fun uh, as far as just pure satisfying my own creativity. Yeah. Um, because it's the most, to me, it's the most creative part of the process. Not that the other, you know, producing or mixing isn't, but those are more technical exercises in some ways. At least at, the, at this point, it's more like when, when I get to the when I get to the mixing stage, it's just at that point a sequence of steps I got to go through to get some to, to to get something done. Whereas writing is just still more unpredictable. It's I don't know where I'm going to end up at the end of, at the end of a day when I'm sitting down to make something new. Yeah. Whereas uh, a mix is more me imagining where I want to end up and then just following the baby steps through to end up at that spot. Yeah. Um, it's like a you know, process. Some, yeah. Yeah. Some you know you might run into a couple surprises, but you know maybe not as not as many as just coming in with a blank slate, being like I you know a certain artist needs a song or something, and let me just open up an empty session with a click track and plug a guitar in and, you know, just start, you know, ha- looking for accidents, <laughs> looking for random yeah. happy acts, ha- happy accidents. So I think, I think songwriting is the most fun. Um, at the same time, I think mixing, uh, if we're talking from a professional point of view is maybe uh, the, the, the most easy to streamline a business from now. And I find, I find I'm doing, obviously since the pandemic and stuff too, yeah. I've been doing more and more mixing just in general, just pure, pure mixing rather than, um, you know, when I'm producing, I'm engineering, co-writing, producing, mixing and mastering. When, when I'm mixing, I'm just mixing and mastering. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's nice too, even just to be able to hear other people's songs, um, you know, sometimes not to be the one responsible for getting under every piece of the hoods. It's kind of a nice exercise too. And I learn things as a mixer that, mixing other people's things that I maybe don't have to learn when I mix my own stuff. Just, yeah. 
because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with my own sources and stuff. I'm not trying to, you know, take maybe a undesirable source and make it sound nice. I'm, you know, it's, it's a different process. So um, professionally, I feel like I'm doing more and more mixing. Um, but I think writing is where it's always, it's always been where it's at, at for me. And when, uh, when you're getting tracks or if, as a mixer, uh, tracks are being sent to you. What's what's the one thing that always seems to be the biggest problem? Is there always seems to be one thing that's bothering you, or is it the guitars that always this, or a vocal that's always that, or is it, is it just a depends on the project type of thing? Um, I think I think for me personally, it's it can be both. Sometimes the bands doing too much stuff or having too much stuff even including too many tracks like you know it's 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 funny to me when people send me a guitar session and there's three different mics on each channel and they're trying to balance them all and with a room mic or something like that too and m- most of the time I'm just let me just take the 57 <laughs> yeah mute, mute, mute the other ones <laughs> not even you know like it, things like that where I'm always, you know, compared to my own stuff where I'm just so like, I've just got the one source and I'm, or I'm just using my Kemp, Kemper and I got a left and a right. And it's, you know, so easy for me that way. And I look at other people's setups sometimes and it just seems so complex to still not get it sometimes as good of a sound as I can get it plugging into the Kemper. Yeah. Um, I think the worst maybe when people don't send me dry sources, like if they have a DI you know, if they didn't record a DI period, that kind of sucks because it's it gets to the point where you can only do what you can do with what you got. Yeah. Um, versus if I have that DI, I can kind of reinvent the whole sound and and um, re-envision the track on a f- more fundamental level. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm trying, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think what the, you know if there's any, anything the three, else. The I mean, three microphone thing. I just dealt with that not too long ago. Same thing, where you listened. And it's like you put all three of them up and it's like, well, that sounds horrible. Um, and then you go through and it's like, listen to each one. Yeah, I like that one. Get rid of the other ones. Yeah, most, of the, most of the time people have that kind of stuff out of phase. And, yeah. you, you know, you're not even hearing like it, you know, just I don't see, see the purpose. I see, you know, I see why it's a, maybe a traditional way that some people taught at schools and read, read in a book and seemed like a good way to get lots of options at one point in time. But nowadays, just, you know, just get me a good close source and I can add some extra room and I can add some extra space and yeah. um, even things like delays and reverbs. I'd rather add them in myself than have them ba- baked in. Yeah. Um, I, I guess maybe other than that, the, maybe the worst or most challenging thing that bugs me the most is maybe just people's timing and tuning. Um, because I find very often something might sound okay in the reference when you're not hearing everything clearly. Yeah. Once I mix it and everything's super clear, and I got some, you know, supporting samples and things things like that on the drums, then you can hear the problems, and you can hear the flams, and you can hear, you, you know, you can all, you all of a sudden realize that the background vocal isn't perfectly timed to the lead vocal because you can actually hear the background vocal, and yeah. you know, you know, stuff like that. And whereas, I, I, you know, I don't know how everyone does it, but as a mixer, I generally don't do timing or tuning unless if they need it. I'll, you know, I've get my assistant hired to do it before it gets to me or something like that. But, yeah. um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to time your, time your drummer when I'm, mix, when I'm mixing. Um, so, so, you know, th- there's times where you have to go back even to the client at the end of the mix and be like, you know, 
if you if you got you know a couple hundred bucks extra, I could get my guy to you know fix this, that, and the other thing if you want. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Some people some people just aren't bothered by it or don't hear it the same way, or yeah, or maybe that you know roughness around the edges feels pleasant to them. Even um, I'm I'm a little more robotic and clinical these these days. I mean, I've just been doing it so long. I just hear every every word that's out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's I all I hear. <laughs> Time, yeah, timing, timing really bugs me. It's it's a tough one. Um, thank goodness you can fix it easy nowadays. But um, yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, I mean, there's so many tools for that too. And uh, you know, but it's easy to do. It's easy to do wrong. It's easy to mess up. But, you know, pe- uh, everyone's sessions I think are getting more elaborate and complicated, even beyond their scope to manage <laughs> the sessions themselves. Because it's so easy to just press record again and record another performance or or to go fix something, but not, you know, necessarily fix it, fix it right. Um, whether even if you're doing it manually or with, or with a plugin, you know, you can use focal line, it might get still some stuff wrong. And at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's your, your, your ear, not the gear. Right. So if you just don't have that, if you just haven't heard it a million, you know, some stuff a million times, you might not be able to tell. I mean, lots of, most of my clients can't tell. I would say almost every client isn't gonna be able to tell if something's 150 samples early or, or you know, or, or late or something like that. But yeah, yeah. I'm that one that's like the, you know, the and is, is <laughs> you're that one word. It's just a little, little rushed and, or I can hear the, the it's always even things like the tails of words to me um, that people always overlook. People are good at timing the start of a note, but not realizing on that double that they played an eighth note here, but a 16th note yeah. note no, there and the, the, all the T's of the four, eight takes they have uh, of a vocal all end with a, at a different spot so it's just one big T flam <laughs> you know or so, yeah. you know th- those kinds of things that I think you only kind of get by just doing it a lot and I know my own self just how many different evolutions there's been of kind of my ears getting to the next point of like oh now I hear this now I hear this now I hear this there's still tons of stuff I probably don't realize I don't hear yet that one day, hopefully, I will. But um, you know, it's it's uh, it, 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 that's the ten thousand hours part of it that you that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, certainly is. Well, I've taken uh, a bunch of your time. Uh, it's been awesome. Uh, maybe we'll just finish up on one question here. Uh, sure. Do you have a long term plan? Do you see what yourself is going to be or what you're going to be doing in the next ten years or so, or you just kind of take it as it comes? You know, I think I've always tried to just be reactive to the opportunities I have and the things I have access to, and um, you know, so 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 I always I always focus on that more than even what my own goals are. I think I've I've set more goals for myself than I've than I've reached, but I've reached many goals that I never even set for myself. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 you know, I like to just be responsive to the to the to the game I'm playing. I guess at the same time. Uh, I see myself moving more into um, developing more things myself, uh, maybe even focusing more on the business side of uh, starting my own boutique record label of sorts and, and um, you know, being able to take some of that, mu- some of that music I start and with myself or whoever and actually f- follow through on the process of putting it out. Um, I, I think sometimes working within a certain within a particular genre like rock music or even let alone let's say for lack of a better word commercial rock music yeah you 
I find myself dealing with a lot of the same challenges over and over um, and just not having always as many opportunities to explore other challenges. So I, th I think um, I'm always at this stage looking forward to um, just different ways I can challenge myself, whether it's doing different kinds of music, different kinds of setups, um, even when it comes to just the evolution of recording. And, you know, I, I could see myself in 10 years not even, you know, needing as commercial of a, or in five years even, need, not needing as commercial of a spot and just having some cool portable rig in a box. And if I need to go somewhere, I either I go there or just ship them that box and have a guy on the ground set it up and I'm monitoring it remotely from, you know, from somewhere that I, I, I want to be. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and just just having more chances to just just really explore creativity and um, you know when you when when your goal is to write every day is to kind of do the same thing and be like oh try to write a top ten rock song today you just do a lot of the same you know you, you have the same ingredients in the pot the same tools in the kitchen yeah you know the same customer as as yesterday and I I want to expand on that more and um, I think even maybe do uh, a lot more Canadian music to be honest I mean I grew up with so many Canadian bands and regional things um, and things that maybe once I left, I didn't, you know, don't have access to those, those same talents and, and those same, you know, aesthetics and kinds of things. And there's a, there's a part of me, I think the longer I've been away, the more I um, even want to um, get back to my roots. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's say. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I think with, with going through this whole pandemic as is really changing all that changing your thought of of everything and and how you approach things and how it you can do things more remote and distant and and Absolutely. make that work because you've had to and all of a sudden people right realizing oh i actually can do this um, i mean i've had i've had two in-person clients since january yeah so but i've worked constantly you know and remotely internet um, just do mixes by myself and stuff and it but it, so it's proven to me that like wow I could I could literally live anywhere I want I could be in the forest as long as I have internet yeah I can I can do what I do yeah so, so you do think differently and I think um, looking ahead it's just how do you enjoy life more while while doing what you do and um, I'm not in the same rat race that I was 10 or 15 years ago so now I can kind of you know start to carve up my own rules and my own terms a little bit and um, just find that happy balance. Awesome. Well, it's a nice place to be. And uh, I think with someone like yourself, and I'm probably very much the same, your creative brain just doesn't stop churning. So <laughs> I mean, you can only, you can take mixing so far, you can take producing so far, and then you all of a sudden you, I find myself, I went down a rabbit hole of, of video stuff the other day yeah. on, on I was like I was trying to learn all this and I'm thinking why am I doing this I don't want to be a video guy <laughs> but all of a sudden I just like oh maybe I could make my podcast cooler and I went down this rabbit hole of like I need to get this light I need to do this and I need to get this camera and it's like no no I don't want to be a video guy I'm an audio guy <laughs> I'm, I'm in the same boat right now with uh I got some photo lights set up so I look yeah. nice and lit <laughs> I know. It's, it's, I wasn't worried about that stuff, you know, two 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 years ago or more, and 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 now I mean, I want I do some educational things and classes and stuff now and again too. So I'm 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 in the same boat, looking at video stuff, looking at web stuff, looking at different platforms of how to do it all and how do I how how do I put a podcast together at a 
video together and all the, all those things and uh it's it's fun i, I just love i love learning i love doing i don't i love not doing the same thing every day so yeah i'm the same that's way. why i do everything because if i get bored of mixing i can just go write a song if i get bored of writing a song i can go mix something and um just gotta gotta keep keep it interesting well it's been awesome having you on the podcast and uh I really hadn't had much chance to chat uh, before, but uh, your family's great. Your dad's awesome. Oh, uh, Corey, I've known for a long time. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's great that you're all doing well and, and you guys work very, very hard and um, it shows and you've got a great spot there and appreciate you Thank coming you. on to the podcast. It's been awesome. So uh, good Thank luck with everything. Anytime. Anytime.